your Bible to Matthew chapter, we're going to be looking at chapter 14, verses 26 through 28, and there also are Bibles there in the rack in front of you, and you can follow along on the screen as well. It's Matthew chapter 14, and verses 26 through 28. For those of you who are able, if you'll stand at this time for the reading of God's Word, I'll read as you follow along. Again, Matthew chapter 14, verse 26 through 28. The Bible says, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I think... Hey, go ahead and put that up there. How's that? Does that work? Let's look at this verse again. You know, it's amazing. Uh, of course, the Bible's amazing anyway, but I want, I want to bring out a couple things before we jump in there. Now, let's pray, and we'll, we'll get started and be mindful of our time and needing a few min- minutes yet at the end as well. Let's pray. Lord, please guide and direct our words, our thoughts, and help us tonight. <coughs> and Lord, we always need you, but we pray that you'd especially help us uh, tonight. And uh, minister to every heart, speak to everyone who's here, and Lord, I pray that you would indeed uh, use it to encourage us, Uh, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's several things, in fact, I was thinking right as having read this passage so many times, but even again as Andy was leading us in it tonight, and uh, you know, as, as you notice this, the first thought that comes to mind is nobody's immune from fear. I don't care who you are. These are the cream of the crop. These are not, uh, these are not just guys who showed up to see some miracle done. They're not uh, uh, people that are on the outskirts of church, spiritually speaking. These are the best of the best. These are the disciples, but they saw something or felt something or experienced something in their life that pushed them to the brink of fear. That's where they're at now. And so sometimes we, we hate to think, why me? Why am I afraid? I shouldn't be afraid. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. I shouldn't have any fears. I mean, I, you know, I really, uh, uh, and sometimes we'll dismiss the fear that someone else has as, why in the world are you fearful? Why in the world are you, come on, you know, snap out of it. We want to smack them or slap them in the face or remind them of Scripture. And, and, and it leads us really into the second thought as he was reading it there. First of all, nobody's immune from fear. But then the second thing is that is amazing from this verse is sometimes the Word of God is not enough. Do I dare say that? Because that was Jesus speaking, and those were, are the words of God, and it still wasn't enough to convince Peter. Because if it would have been enough, he wouldn't have said, if. If you're really who you claim to be, and if you're really going to do for me what I think you're going to do or what you're capable of doing or what I need you to do for me, then why in the world does the if come out there? Because Peter recognized, first of all, fear happens to us all, and it's happened to me. By the way, Peter was a pretty bold dude. I mean, you think about the Garden of Gethsemane, okay? You think about the soldiers coming in mass, and this would have been a huge group of men who were armed to the teeth. I mean, complete with battle gear, ready to, ready to wage war and do all kinds of mayhem and violence. Peter grabs one sword, and he's ready to take them all on. So it's not like Peter was some wimp. I mean, Peter was a bad dude. 
And uh, that's in the original language. I know he's a fisherman, but man, he was ready to go. And so much so that he said, I'll take you all on. I don't care. He was ready to fight to the finish. Um, I'm reading a book right now about a particular raid that occurred in World War II. And it was when the Rangers were first established. There was not a Ranger battalion. In fact, they were transformed from a another unit that was largely made up of a bunch of misfits, at least as they were described. <clears throat> and on this particular raid uh, that they made, the commander, he said, the first thing is, he said, there will be no atheists on this mission. And he said, I don't care what you believe, he said, but we'll have no atheists with us. And he said, the first thing I want you to do is I want everybody to go to God. And he told him that. He said, listen, he said, because what we're about to embark on is... Uh, unbelievable. And he said, very likely that many, if not most of you, will not return. And he said, so the first thing is there are no atheists. They took a group of less than 200 men, and I don't want to get into the story because I'm saving it for another day. But it, it's amazing. And, and then they went to, he said, we're going to have a chapel service. And all of them went into one of the large meeting tents, and they had church. Man, what a difference. What a difference. And that was, of course, the greatest generation is often referred to in World War II. But he said, there are no atheists on this trip. And you know, uh, a situation like this makes it very clear. (laughs) There really aren't any. Man, I've seen, you you know, fear will put you into a God-believing moment, even if you've never been in one in your life. Even if you, you question whether or not he exists and the authority or the Uh, the validity of Scripture, but let fear pop up in your life, and all of that goes out the window. It's at that moment when people who never believe in God say, God, if you'll get me out of this, but wait a second, God doesn't exist. It's amazing people who say He doesn't exist have such a fit over us who believe in Him. You know, just leave us alone in our little world if He doesn't really exist, but nonetheless, I, I digress there. But so in this particular verse, you see, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. And we've, we've mentioned this before, but most of the times they believed if you were in the midst of a terrible storm and you saw an a, a, uh, apparition, <coughs> you saw a ghost, if it were, approaching you on your vessel, it meant you were doomed and you weren't going to survive. And that was a mariner's tale. So they believed that was a sign to them that this voyage was, was, you know, was doomed. If not for the courage of the fearless crew, some of y'all didn't even get that, okay? <laughs> it's amazing. This, I told you, all kinds of stuff goes through here, and every once in a while, it just squeaks out. But here they are, and so, so great fear. <laughs> some of you still don't get that. What's he talking about? All right, this morning was Beverly Hillbillies, and tonight it's Gilligan's Island. So I have no idea what's coming. We'll probably dismiss with good night, John Boy. I don't know. But so, nonetheless, here they are at this moment. It's like we're in trouble. And so it doesn't matter who you are. Nobody's immune to fear. And secondly, sometimes even though you know what God says and what God has spoken, it doesn't mean that fear doesn't sometimes overwhelm you. Sometimes some of the greatest Christians find themselves in the midst of the greatest waves and sweeps of doubt, and they're almost beating themselves up with the Word of God. But the Bible says, but the Bible says, but the Bible says, but the Bible says, and they'll do that because, like maybe they can talk them out of being afraid. It doesn't matter. You're still in the midst of your storm. 
And so that's one of the things that fear does. And so that, that's just a quick observation from that because Peter said, Lord, even, even though I know it's you and I know what you're saying, I still wonder. It's almost as if we know what God can do, but we really wonder, but yeah, is he going to pull through for me? But what about me? And I, I know he's my father. I know he's my savior. And I know he's omnipotent. And I know he knows my situation, but will he do it for me like he's done for others? And perhaps there's someone here that feels even that way tonight. And fear is, uh, we covered this uh, maybe two months ago in a, a message on a Sunday morning, but I wanted to get at it a little bit deeper for the next couple weeks, if the Lord will allow us to. Because fear is a, is a big component of life. There's probably not a person in here that at some point today you didn't wake up with some fear. And whether it was fear of the unknown, of what's going to happen, or maybe it was fear of your past, is it going to catch up with you? Uh, maybe it was fear of relationships, sometimes broken. Uh, sometimes we feel they're broken without remedy. Maybe it was fear of health and we're waiting for that health scare, I've got this test, or I've got this exam, and a couple of people who left this morning after the morning service were sharing with me things that, hey, would you pray about this? And it was a, this situation or this situation. Sometimes it's our family, and our family feels fractured. Our family sometimes feels wounded, and it's, it's dreadful how those with whom we feel the, the most close bonds can sometimes be in some of the most difficult straits. But sometimes that happens in fear of our family. Sometimes it's fear of our finances. Are we going to have enough for the end of the month? Are we going to make it? And what about my job? And what about my job situation? Are we going to be able to buy this? Are we going to be able to... <coughs> What's going to happen here? Am I going to have enough money for retirement? Are we going to have enough money for this? And we fear, we fear all kinds of things. And some of you are thinking, gee, Pastor, I didn't know about all those things. Now I'm really loaded down. You just, you just dumped a few more things upon me. But that's what fear does, and so uh, I, I want to examine these and their interaction because when fear meets faith, it's overpowered by God. And so we have this up here, we have fear, and we have faith, and we have God, and so we're going to look at them and how they, they uh, kind of mesh together in the most unseemly way. But the first thing I want to draw our attentions to is the passage we read. So let's look at it again. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. They cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake of them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. By the way, when you are afraid, even though you know what God says, it still sometimes causes you to do crazy things. That's a pretty crazy thing. You have all the things, you know, it's not, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to eat lunch because I know everything's going to be good. It's not, I'm going to go back to my book because I'm on the boat here and this has been a great cruise anyway. We've caught all this fish, so I'm going to go back to cleaning them. No, in fact, fear has shaken me so much, I'm going to do something really bizarre. That's what he does. He asks, let me walk on water. I mean, why not, you know? You're probably not going to have this chance again, so I might as well go out and do that which is unthinkable. But let me say this first of all about fear. Fear is concerning. By that I mean it arrests our attention. It really does. It grabs it. And it is often the thing that you cannot think about anything else. It dominates your attention. It, uh, 
It, uh, from the time you get up in the morning or whatever that one thing is, that cloud, it's uh, like the character in, uh, I think it's in Peanuts that walks around with the cloud. Uh, it's like Eeyore, who's everything is always bad. It's that, it's that individual, and sometimes you can de- develop that mentality, even spiritually speaking. You just wonder, uh, it's, it's like Jacob when he cried out, and Jacob is surrounded by many sons and scores of grandchildren, but he can't see any of that blessing because he's focused on the one he lost. Now, we understand, of course, he wasn't lost, and it was a matter of time he was going to be reunited with, with uh, Joseph. But he, in the midst of all this, he said, all these things are against me. And every time he got, can you imagine every family reunion with Jacob is, Joseph is not, Joseph is not, Joseph is not. Hey, yeah, Dad, but what about these? What about all of these? Because that one fear that he had, that one thing that he had, so dominated his life that he never got past the concern that fear brought to him. So the first thought is this, fear is concerning because it arrests our attention. It is often the only thing about which we think. Then secondly, I want you to look at this verse, and we've referenced it before, from Job, who would have been probably, <coughs> maybe in the, the Old Testament, arguably the greatest Christian of the Old Testament. The Bible says there wasn't anybody like Job. In fact, I don't, I don't even like to say, ever say anything any disparag- in a disparaging way against Job. What, one reason is I know I'm going to see him, you know, and there's, there's Job, you know, and, you know, I don't know, s- signing tablets or whatever they're doing up there, taking selfies. I, I don't know. But there's Job, and when you see Job, Job's going to be, wow, that's Job. The Bible reminds us you've, you've heard of the patience of Job, and we understand that everything that Job went through, but in the midst, and by the way, that's why fear creeps in even with people you think it sh- never should. See, sometimes, bless you, sometimes we look at somebody and we think they've got it all together. They don't have a worry in the world. You ever think that? You drive by somebody's home and you, you see this magnificent home and you, you see the, 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 the cars that they have. I, I was talking to uh, uh, the gentleman yesterday in our men's prayer meeting and I was telling a story about a uh, a uh, gentleman who was, he was a professional athlete, and he had this, uh, um, I, I think it was 17-car garage. I, I think that's what it was. I may have the number wrong, but it was, it was in the teens, and it was showing all of his cars. And, he were, and one of them was the first Rolls Royce that he had bought, and, and uh, I remember mine, too, like it was yesterday. But uh, the first one, and then he had a second one, and, and uh, all these different vehicles, and uh, one of them was a 4x4 pickup truck, and, and anyway, all these different vehicles that he had. And so, he was, he was uh, looking at those things. So if you drive by that guy's house, and he has a, uh, I think it was 270-acre uh, estate, and he has his initials on a gate on the front as you enter his estate. So you drive by that place, you think, man, that guy's got it made. I mean, you know, he had one of those infinity pools, and they were touring it, talking about all his success and all the millions and hundreds of millions of dollars he had made in professional sports. And you look at a guy like that, and you think, that guy's got it made. Now, Job did not have probably the pride and sin so much uh, belaboring him as many in that culture might have. And I'm not saying that guy does, but I'm just saying many times we see the arrogance that comes with it, and sometimes extravagance and waste. And I don't think that that is necessarily how Job lived because the Bible says about Job there wasn't anyone like him. He feared God and he eschewed evil. But in the midst of all of that, we know he's a man of great substance. We know that because in one day's time, he loses all of it. We know that Job also was a man of great respect because he was an elder who sat in the gate. Typically, the gate of a city would have had a long bench, 
and uh, those men would have in the city, if you were an elder and you sat at the gate, it literally meant a rock ledge at the edge of town, and you were there. You were there for counsel. You were there for wisdom. You know, it was kind of like the uh, McDonald's on the morning, and you were getting your coffee or whatever it was, and, and so you guys were all there. It was the wealth of wisdom, and people would come to see the elders of the, the city. They would come because they wanted to hear what they had to say. And by the way, young people would do you well to find out what old people have to say. They've lived a lot longer than you have, and they've gone through a lot more. And so when you have parents and grandparents, you ought to buy into what they're telling you. Man, I wish I could still talk to my dad and ask his opinion about things. And, uh, but nonetheless, these were the elders, so Job was there. So he had great wealth, and he had great esteem within the community. He had a huge family. Man, I love family. I, I love getting together with family. I, I, uh, uh, I, I enjoy that. I, anytime you have a chance, and, and it, it's less often than it used to be. I mean, I, I look back to, with great, sometimes people talk about minivans, and they hate minivans. But man, some of our best memories were the family all packed in there going on trips in a minivan, especially when they came out with DVD players, all right? And then you could just pop something in there or whatever. But, but man, I love those days, everybody getting together, and we, we sometimes we'll, we'll look back at oh, pictures and images and memories and, and those type of things. Man, and, and those were great times. Job had a big family. He had tremendous, I think, respect and love from his wife. So much so, and I know it's easy for us to throw uh, Job's wife under the bus and say, yeah, but she was the one who said, curse God and die. He rebuked her sternly by saying, thou speakest as a foolish woman speaketh. No, don't, you, don't you know, in other words, uh, that do we only receive good at the hand of God, not evil as well? It's amazing how Job's character never wavered. But I don't think that was so much that she was a rebel as that she was equally wounded and hurt. By the way, she lost everything he lost. The only difference was the physical suffering that was inflicted upon his body was not shared by her. But I promise you this, if your loved one is hurting, so are you. There's a make no mistake about it. So here's here's Job. He has possessions. he He has wealth. He has respect. He has a family. He has everything. If you see Job, wow. But here's what we find about Job very early on. He opens up, and through the uh, leadership of the Holy Spirit, he gives us a glimpse into the recesses of his heart when he says, For the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. In other words, Job has a moment where he says, I knew this was going to happen. I knew it. I had no doubt, no reservation. I knew this was bound to happen. By the way, so, sometimes... Listen, however good it is today, it won't always be good. However bad it is today, it won't always be that bad. You know, yesterday was my wife and I, it was our 34th wedding anniversary, and so we were going through, you know, hey, at this time, do you remember this? And we, I remember we, and, and it was wonderful. You know, I remember the pictures and, 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 and the wedding and all of that. We went out and took pictures out behind the church, and uh, there was this just unbelievably blue sky. And uh, several people who saw that picture, we had it framed and all, they said, were you in a studio? Was that cropped? And I said, no, it's a real sky. It was like God stood back and said, hey, this is my couple in whom I'm well pleased. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm teasing. All right. But it, but it was awesome. And so all of those memories, you know, and it was great. And uh, we were talking about our honeymoon. And I, I remember we went to this uh, uh, Marriott. It was the first time I'd ever stayed at a Marriott. And we, we went to check in. And... Uh, 
Um, the guy said, are you all newlyweds? And I don't know what gave it away, but I guess they could figure it out. And I said, yes, we are. And he said, well, we have an upgrade for you. They put us on the top floor in a, it was a double door, solid oak hardwood door suite called the Poplar Room. I still have pictures of it. In that room, there was a full living room, a full kitchen. The balcony had two balconies. One of them had a dining table and all that on it. And uh, I remember thinking, man, this place is so fancy. They even had a phone in the bathroom. And I'm thinking, why do you need a phone in the bathroom? Hello. <laughs> you know, like, anyway, I'm just, it's, it's, I, I know, I'm, I'm digressing here. But I, and I remember looking at that thing and thinking, boy, this place is awesome. But it won't always be like this. And I didn't tell her that then, but she's kind of figured it out after 34 years. This is, not, this is how we roll tonight, <laughs> but this is not how we're going to roll for life. And, but, but now may I say this too. Sometimes in life, the difficulties can overwhelm you and, and almost swallow you up. You see, the, the thing about the disciples in the storm that day, they had just forgotten what just happened. You see, they, they just left a place where God was doing great things. In fact, he's the one who told us to go. He said, go to the other side. I'm going to meet you over there. And and it's like, I I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and I know I'm living like I'm supposed to live. And if I'm doing that, then why is this fear just beating me to death? And by the way, I'm going to give you a few points, some passages of Scripture, maybe tell a few illustrations, and and pray that the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. But I promise you in the morning, guess what? Fear is going to be right there again. It's going to be there. Because here's a guy who had it all together, and he said, that which I greatly feared. You know what that means? I spent a lot of time on this bad boy. That monster that I created, that... That, that thing that was there, man, I just I developed him, and I made him bigger than life, and he was all consuming, and everywhere I went, there he was. There he was. And I know he's coming. We do everything we can to exercise and try to stay in good shape, but eventually, guess what? You know, there's, you, you can't run like you used to. I made a joke this morning about putting my socks on. It's true. My legs are longer than they used to be. I was putting, I, I literally, I was putting my socks, and I thought, this used to be a piece of cake, and now, man, it's a struggle. The struggle is real, <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow, what happened? And I'm not near as flexible as I used to be, and I, and I realize, and some of you are thinking, hey, I haven't worn socks in years, Pastor. I know exactly what you're talking about, so I, I feel your pain, but, but man, and, and so there was a time in my life when I feared some of those things, and now they are coming to pass. And that's you and me. And so we've created this great thing that won't, it won't let us sleep at night. And that's a shame. Because it doesn't have to be that way. It, uh, it will trouble you in the moments when you're idle. You'll go to work and you'll be busy and you'll be consumed with the work But that moment you get your 30-minute break and you clock out and you go sit in the break room and you have your meal or you pull off the side of the road if you're driving a truck or whatever it is, and you sit down and you're by yourself for just a moment, it doesn't take very long. And you don't even try to. You don't even invite him. But he's there. He shows right up. He doesn't knock. He doesn't ask. 
He doesn't give you any forewarning. He just walks right in. And you might as well say it, you again. There he is. And you think you're unique because of that. You think everybody that's here tonight's got this stuff all figured out. And they're just kind of cruising and going through life. And man, how does he do it? How does she do it? I can't believe it. Man, look at them. They don't have a problem. They don't have a care. He's got a 17-car garage. He's got this. She's got that. And their kids are all grown, and they're in church, and this and that. And, and man, I'm just so worried about all of those things. Every single one of us. Every single one of us has fear. And he just walks right in. I don't know about you, but I hate him. <laughs> I don't like him at all. I get aggravated when he shows up, and he, he, he can steal my best days. I can be having a great moment, and then all of a sudden it gets quiet. And there he is. I want to look at him and say, who invited you? How did you get in here? This is supposed to be my good time, my, my good moment, and, and I'm having a great time. And maybe even in the midst of conversation with friends and family at a table, all of a sudden, he slides in the booth. Or he ups in the car, and you're thinking, how did you get here? But he does. But you don't have to give place to him. Oh, pastor, I know that. And, and I'm not fussing at you because you do. Because so do I. And it shouldn't surprise us. And you were afraid that was going to fall, and it did. But it shouldn't surprise us. Because Peter said, if it's really you, and that you're really who you say, then I'm going I'm to throw out my God test. Everybody has God tests. You all do. <laughs> I do. I have my God test. Okay, if you really, then this. It's, it's so weak, isn't it? We all do it. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to do this, but if, if, I, if I'm going to do that, then this light has to stay green for me to get through. Sometimes our God, come on now, you don't have to tell the truth. Okay, if, I, if I'm, if I'm going to buy coffee for the guy behind me, then I've got to make this light. Or, or you, we throw out some of the weirdest God things that we, God's got to get involved. And if he does that, then I'll, like, that's the test to know God is real in my life. How many of you have ever thrown out a real weird God test? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. The rest of you, come on, you're missing it. Throw those bad boys out there. And so here is Job, and here is Peter, and here are we. He said, I made this fear so big, there wasn't a day that went by I didn't think about it. Now, you might step back and say, and see it happened. But I also have to remind you that every one of us are also like David in this regard. See, David said, I shall now one day perish at the hand of Saul. He said, I know what's going to happen. I know how this works. I know how it ends. And yada, 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 Saul's going to kill me. But wait just a second. God had already told him you're going to be king. Yeah, I know. I know what God said, but I know 
What I know, and this is exactly, I got this feeling in my gut. I got this sinking feeling in my gut, and I know exactly what's going to happen. And every single day, you know what we do? We get up, we start creating that thing. And I don't know what your thing is, but for David, it was Saul killing him. I don't know if his picture was a spear. I don't know if it was, uh, I mean, he had, you know, why come to dinner, you know, get a, get a spear thrown at you. Can you imagine that? Here we are. What's for dinner? Uh, Lord bless this food. We're having, you know, fried chicken or whatever. And all of a sudden, who, who keeps a spear by the head of their table? I mean, come on now. What, what, kind of, what kind of eating place is that, you know? I've been to some places where, where there's been crazy decor. But King Saul at his table, here's a spear. Why? Why? You just never know. <laughs> what do you mean you just never know? And so if you're serving, you're thinking, I'm always, you know, watching my six. You know, I'm always looking around wanting to make, you know, I never turn my back on the king. You know, his, his glass is never empty. I want to make sure that everything's good because why? Saul, he's a spear thrower. And everybody knows spear throwers, by the way. Everybody knows them. Now, they might not literally do it, and I'm not advocating that as such, but Saul was a spear thrower. So David never wanted to go to dinner there again. Would you? I mean, that freaked me out. Pass the potatoes. You know, come on, are you kidding me? And that's what he did. He threw a spear, and so, well, I'll skip dessert. See you. Got to go. And, and, and out he goes. Um, you know, you don't need, it's crazy. So David... In his mind, every day, Saul's going to kill me. Saul's going to kill me. Saul is going to kill me. Then finally, he waxes poetic under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I shall now one day perish at the hand of Saul. Why? Because every day he crafted it. And every day he got bigger and bigger. This huge giant that overtook his thinking. And you know what happens sometimes in, in our thinking is we have moved out any room for God to work. You know, you know, that's why when the Bible says casting down every imagination and strongholds, bringing that into captivity, you know why? Because some of the worst enemies we have are our stinking thinking. Because I just know. How do you know? Oh, I know. Well, I, I know what's... How, how do you know? I just know. Trust me. Why? Because for the last six months, I have built this bad boy, and I've made him bigger, and I've fashioned him, and now every time, every time I see it, that's what it is. That's what Job did. That's what David did. That's what Peter did. And so just because it's happening in your life doesn't mean you're some kind of weak level faithless, doubting Christian. You know what it means? You're normal. You're normal. It it means you're one of us. It means from the platform to the last chair, that's us and that's life. Now, God says this. He says, I'm going to give you some things. Wow, we are just, uh, so I've got to hurry. But I'm going to give you this one. Because I, don't want you, I want you to leave still with that brick and mortar in your hand and the giant image that you're making of what's going to overtake and overwhelm you. Because you, we always imagine that. And I'm filtering things right now because stuff's coming in and I've got it. But we do. We, we create those things. And I don't know what yours is. But we have made them. 
I have a few. I, I really do. I have my own. Yeah, I, I could tell you mine. I fear the future just like anybody. I, I, I don't have all the, I don't walk in, hey, praise God, got it all figured out. I come here sometimes, will they still love me tomorrow? No, really, I mean, you know, I, you know it's, just, it's just life. I mean, everything that you could imagine, we think about. Am I going to be able to pay the bills? Am I going to get cancer? Who's going to take care of me when I get older? We joke about it sometimes with our girls, and they're always, they're always making fun. And, uh, you know, in a good way, because usually it is funny. But, you know, the older you get, it's not so funny. You start thinking, you know, I want to be good to my kids. Why? They pick where I live last. You know, <laughs> I'm serious. Rebecca, you're wonderful. Lauren, awesome. <laughs> you know, I, be good to them, right? You know? Some of you, some of you that are older saying, yeah. <laughs> but we all have those things. And you know what happens? They get really big. But at the end of the day, you have to know this. You have to know this. Hey, listen, if you get nothing else, know this. I'm going to give you a couple of real quick snippets from scriptures. First of all, the Bible says that God is love. And the Bible says that love perfected or perfect love casts out fear. In other words, God says, if you've got me, there's no place for fear. It's when you're, when it, listen, listen, it's when it's getting ready to go down in your life with that big monster you've created, whatever it is. And forgive me, I just can't get the illustration out of my mind about the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. And some of you have no idea what that is. But, you know, he created this. He told him, remember that? He told him, don't think of anything. And some of you are judging me right now, but I've been thinking it for the last 10 minutes. And he said, don't think of anything. And he did. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The rest of you don't. And that's okay. Don't Google it, please. But nonetheless, <laughs> so you make this image and you just know it's going to overwhelm you. You just know it's going to nail you. And God says, now, hang on a second. You have to understand this. I have this because I have you for everything. I don't know how everything's going to turn out in your life. I, I can't sit here and tell you that, oh, and, and, and I won't belittle you or diminish you in any way by insulting you and saying, quit worrying, because I'd be a hypocrite. Because I'm still making that bad boy even as I'm preaching. But I do know what God said, just as Peter said, when I wrestle with that moment of, are God's words enough? And the truth is, they are. The problem is not that they are not enough. The problem is us, us stepping out completely and saying, I trust you. I have anything else. My options are gone. I've exhausted everything else. And at this moment, at this point, I am wholly and completely thrusting myself upon the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that He does all things well. You say, why do you do that? Because if I don't, then I'll spend my whole day tomorrow making my giant bigger than he is. And he's already big enough. 
but I don't want to keep building it. I just don't. Job said, that which I greatly, do you know what that means? The word is immense. The word is, in the Hebrew, it's ginormous. It's, have you seen this thing I've made? It's ginormous. And I've got so many crazy things going tonight, so I better, I better just back up and, and quit while I'm ahead. But that's life. And so as you make it, you build it, and you fashion it, and you shape it, understand that the Lord says, I have this, I have you, but you have to let go and trust Him. Because if you don't, fear will grab you, it'll control you, it'll take charge, it will dominate all starting with being just a little concerned. Don't let it do that to you. Trust Him. God is love, and God gets rid of that, but only when you let Him. Shall we stand? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed very quickly. I'm not going to have a lengthy invitation, but I certainly want to give you an opportunity. This morning was very unique in that we didn't even have an invitation, but I do want to give you a chance to respond, certainly in your heart. And I can't help but think there are probably some of us that God has arrested our attention even tonight. I know He spoke to me. And what is it that's got you? Don't leave tonight making it bigger than it is. You say, but you don't know. No, I don't. No, I don't. Leave tonight saying, Lord, would you take these tools that I'm using to make this thing so big? Would you help me to cast that down? And God, would you give me peace? Would you give me victory? Would you give me confidence? Would you give me comfort? God wants to do all of those things. But you've got to be willing to let him have the tools by which you're crafting that great giant that is probably never going to come to fruition. And even if it does, as it did with Job, Job said this, I know that when it all worked out, I came forth as gold. So there's someone here tonight say God spoke to me about something and made some things very clear to me. Would you lift your hand just very, very quickly, very quickly. God bless you. Put your hands down. We're going to have just a quick opportunity of invitation. As the piano plays, would you respond? You're welcome to pray there at your seat. Nobody has to come to the altar, but I think it's good for us to respond. God never wastes an opportunity to speak to us. It's always with intent. It's always by design. If you know this song, sing the chorus with me. Here we go. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory 
and grace. Sing that chorus again. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Well, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to be very, very quick with this. Roger.